Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Tony steps down at the end of the season. HRT tests its first car of the future. We've already got a, quite a head start on the Nissan Merc team, so that's a... And Casey Stoner talks about his V8 ambitions. Motivated to try and finish this season off a of MotoGP first, and then, um, you know, to be honest, I haven't even looked too far into the future. That's all coming up today, as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Here is the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. The executive chairman of V8 Supercars, Tony Cochran, has announced last Friday that he would be stepping away from the position at the end of the year. Cochran, who is seen as the driving force behind the rise and rise of the series, said he felt it was the right time to move on. While many of his colleagues were praising his achievements, reports were surfacing around him potentially taking over the role as the head of the National Rugby League. Next week on the show, Tony Cochran will join us to talk about his impending departure and much, much more. Make sure you don't miss it. In other news now, Dick Johnson Racing has unveiled a new Bathurst livery for the Moffat Davison Norton Falcon. The livery of Ford Blue features a true blue steel design from the 1980 race. Norton agreeing to allow their logos to be changed to fit the traditional paint scheme. I think it's going to bring back an awful lot of memories. To finish off the retro livery, the Norton DJR car will be changed from number 18 to number 17 for the 1,000km race. It's a hugely iconic car and you know I only hope that Alex and I can do it a bit of justice come Sunday afternoon at Bathurst. Stephen Johnson and Alan Simonson will run 18 on their car. Nick Perkat was the first of the Walkinshaw drivers to grab the wheel of their car of the future with a shakedown run at Melbourne's Calder Park. Pretty special day for me, if, uh, like I've said all along with the Bathurst stuff, I've been a massive tragic HRT fan since it's about this big, so to be the first one to drive the car of the future for HRT is uh, very special to me. It's, um couldn't get the smile off my face in the outlap even though I was doing about uh, 20 kilometres an hour betting in things. So was... Perkat spoke about some of the differences on the car. Uh, obviously the whole rear end is different with the gearbox in the back so from what I drove on the weekend in Garth's car, it's um, nothing alike besides it looks the same from the outside. James Courtney on Tuesday had his first drive of the carbon fibre liveried car of the future at Winton Motor Raceway. Courtney's international experience in Super GTs allowing to adapt to the more sophisticated transaxle a lot easier. Uh, and to see the car develop and be built over uh, you know, such a 
period of time, it's, uh, it's, it's great to be the first guy to drive it in Angus. Casey Stoner has told the V8 Insiders that he doesn't expect to be on the grid at next year's Enduros. <laughs> next year? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think there's uh, any chance. So you get pretty good odds on it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, you'd probably still lose. So... <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, I'm not really looking that close. Uh, to be honest, I haven't thought about it. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to, to get this season over and done with and everything I can to get back on the bike. Um, you know, my team, everybody deserves it back there. So, um, you know, I'll think about those sort of things at a later date. But the MotoGP champion... So is the MotoGP champion looking towards a four-wheel future in Australia? It's always been um, an interest of mine, very big interest, but... Um, you know, I don't need anything to, to get more interest or, or more motivation. You know, I'm uh, you know I'm motivated to try and finish this season off a of MotoGP first, and then um, you know, to be honest, I haven't even looked too far into the future. And what similarities does Stoner see between his MotoG team and Team Vodafone, who he spent the weekend at Sandown with? I think um, you know, to be at the, the top of any sport, there's got to be you know definitely a certain amount of professionalism. So there's going to be similarities everywhere. Um, as far as things are done, the way you know we each achieve uh, our goals are very different. Um, you know, of course, it's a lot more to do with uh, the actual riders and riders' input um, than it is here. You know, you still need a lot of driver input, but at the same time, they can find out a lot of data from from everything they got, uh, and they get it live, which we don't get uh, in MotoGP. So things can be done a lot quicker. You know, they can see what's going on and tell each other what's going on around the track come back in and already be ready to make the change whereas us we've got to come back in sort of have a small debrief uh, then make the change and get back out just waste time so there's a lot of things that are, are better in this way but um, you know in bikes we couldn't have communications we couldn't uh, have live uh, GP, um, live uh, data or anything like that so it's uh, it's tricky but it's interesting the way that um, you know both championships and both styles sort of achieve their speeds. As we build up to the 50th anniversary of the Bathurst 1000, we caught up with Greg Crick and asked him about some of his Bathurst memories. Ah, oh, well, you know, I've done, I think I've done 14 or 15 Bathurst, so I've done a lot over the years. I just love the place. It's the best racetrack in the world, you know, and I just love the place. So to go up there in the old Charger, I mean, I'm going to have a ball. We'll have a grin from ear to ear, I'm sure. And having raced there so many times, what do you think about the show that goes there now? Oh, it's sensational. You know, when we used to go there and, and you know, the, it wasn't the competition that it is today. Look, it's it's a long way from uh, from where it was in the early days where you'd finish third, eight laps down, you know. Now it's eight seconds down. You know, it's just it's a different show, but everything evolves. And, you know, some of it's terrific. I mean, the cars are terrific, the drivers are terrific, but the thing that, uh, that worries me about it is the, it's so sterile. You know, they're not racing, they're racing hard, but to the fans, there's not much passing. They bump someone, you know, they, they get a penalty, so they're not game to race, and I really think that's taken a lot away. There's not much sliding around and not much fun. I think the fans, I, I've learned since I've been involved with the Touring Car Masters just how much the fans are connected to these older cars and the fact that they slide around and they, they do all the things that they want to see a race car do and people making mistakes and spearing off of the back brakes locked up and things like that. But look, I was very fortunate. Uh, Chris Lambden gave me my first ever drive at Bathurst in 1989 in a VL Commodore and uh, it, that wasn't the best weekend. The next year I drove um, with him in the Skyline and even though it 
we had some problems with it. We finished seventh. The next year I drove with Bob Jones and I think we finished sixth or something. And we came second in the Sandown 500 that year in the Ampole Max 3 car. Um, and, you know, through the years we've just had some great races there and I've been very unlucky. Like in the Pinnacle car in 94, I think I was fifth on the last lap going up the hill and it broke a timing chain and we didn't get over the top of the mountain on the very last lap. So it's a heartbreak place and, you know, it's just how it is. But you don't care, you go there. It's the challenge of going there and competing and doing as well as you can, taming that mountain. Go Charger. Yeah, yeah, go the Mopar. Someone told me that sent me a text the other day he said it takes a Mopar to catch a Mopar, so look out, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> On this week's White Flag Lab, Warren Luff will join us. Whilst, don't forget, next week, Tony Cochran will be our guest on the round table with author of the history of V8 supercars, Gordon Lomas. It will certainly be a show not to be missed. And finally, V8X magazine is on sale now with its 50th anniversary Bathurst livery. V8X on sale now at all good and not-so-good news agents around the country. And don't forget, if you've got an iPad, jump onto MagShop and you can find V8X now available for iPad there. And that's the news for Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range at www.nobrac.com.au. After the break, Tony Whitlock and Tony Shebecki join me on the V8 Insiders. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from SEN's On The Grid, it's Tony Shebecki, fresh from Hobnobbing It with the Olympians over there in London. Welcome back, Tony. Thanks, Craig. Had a fantastic time over there at the Olympics and then a little bit of a holiday in Paris and Malta, but now back in the mundane day-to-day life of Melbourne. Mm. It's beautiful, though. You love it. Mm. And just to make it confusing, for me at least, it's Race Fax's own Tony Whitlock. And I'm going to say Tony, and I'm going to have two people answering me all night, aren't I, Tony? Yes. (laughs) I'm happy if you call me Anthony, if you'd like, Craig. (laughs) Okay. I don't have an H in mind. I'm Anthony. Okay, well that's just going to make it confusing for everyone, so how about we go with uh, just asking the questions and see where they fall. One of the big questions this week is, who's going to run V8 supercars when Tony Cochran leaves? Tony Shebecki? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one. Boy, I've been predicting that for about six months, and I was so pleased because I talked all Sandown weekend about Cochran will be leaving soon, and I... Couldn't have been more prescient with my comments. Well, when you but who's s- stepping in? Gee, that's going to be an interesting one. It'll be someone not far away, I think. Tony Shebecki, your thoughts? Uh, I, was, I was a little bit 
surprised. I thought he would have lasted until at least the end of the year. I thought uh, for the fact that he announced it so early, and if they do find a replacement quick enough, he's uh, out the door straight away. Uh, I thought there was still a little bit of unfinished business to go for Tony Cochran with uh, America, with Texas next year and the like. So I was a little bit surprised it's happened now. I thought it would happen soon. Uh, Hill looks like he's going to the NRL, doesn't he? So that'll be a great pick-up for the NRL, uh, Tony Cochran. He'd be a, a good acquisition for them. As long as we don't do a straight swap with the NRL, I'll be pretty happy. It, <laughs> it's interesting, Tony, that, uh, Tony Whitlock, that we have got uh, these stories now about Tony Cochran and the NRL. So quickly on the back of his uh, announcing he'll depart at the end of the year. Well, the interesting thing he'll find is that there'll probably be a lot more head kickers where he's going, if he is there, than where he's been. You know, a lot of blokes who've been entrenched for a lot of years and who haven't sold out recently in any way, shape or form, so therefore they're not pulling their forelocks in the same way that those in V8s do. Do you think a lot of people are kowtowing to him now that they're not the majority owners, though, uh, Tony Whitlock? No, well... Uh, look, you know, I mean, certainly there were deals done that um, that got uh, Archer on board that did require him to be there for a period. And, you know, he'll meet that requirement and uh, then move on. Tony Shebeki, the, he's been such a dominant figure and such a colourful figure. He's the colourful racing identity of the motorsport world. Do you think we will find someone as charismatic as his replacement? I think that'll be pretty hard. He's uh, probably one of the more charismatic CEOs around uh, and uh, able to mix business and pleasure quite well by the looks of things. Look, look, I, he leaves V8 supercars, and some may argue with this. I'm sure Tony Whitlock may. Uh, in my eyes, I think he leaves V8 supercars in a lot better shape than when he actually came. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But it's, you know, there are five real key things to the success of the sport it is. Certainly the first one was what it was in that uh, five-litre V8 holding forward. So so it was good competitive racing. Second one was that they had batters. Third thing was they got Cochrane and IMG early on. Then they got a TV deal with 10. Those elements and the continuity of specification and project blueprint and the things that went with that meant that they were having racing that was consistently out there putting forward a good package. So he was one of the five elements that made it succeed. And a very a very key one in, in getting on two or three of the others over the line. And he you was know, certainly his and James Erskine's ability to talk at the big end of town and be noticed. I remember James Erskine was the man who beat up the Australian cricket board. I remember saying that in Pit Lane in ninety six saying to people like Larry Burns and Dick Johnson, these guys hit heavy and they hit hard. And I guess one thing is he's not been afraid to try things where a lot of people uh, just try and do what we know. He was willing to go out there and put his head on the chopping block and say, we're going to try this, we're going to risk it all, or we're going to risk X amount to try and pull this off. And with the exception of Canberra, and possibly Sydney, if it does go down the way we're all thinking it's going down, that's not too bad a strike rate if you only have two... Uh, oh, well, you have no, to add no, China look, to that as well. He learned, back in 97, I think it was, that he said there are no sacred sites. He learned that there are, in fact, sacred sites in motor racing. And that, uh, I mean, the, the thing was, he was fortunate to have Adelaide and the South Australian government and the SA Motorsport Board 
you know, click in with that thing called the Clipsal 500, and man, has that kicked ass. And it's one of the great motorsport events around the world. Don't make yep. any mistake about it. You know, and the fact that they were there, they don't actually manage that event. They don't have any import into it other than providing their category, and they're one of the elements. It's one, though, event that you have to say it is built on the legacy of the Formula One race, Tony, isn't it? It's, it's oh, yeah. not like when you go to Townsville or when you go to, uh, go to uh, well, when they tried to go to Canberra, which had no, nothing underpinning it. And one would think, boys, that if, uh, if Formula One was ever taken away from Melbourne, if the Victorian government ever said, we just don't want it anymore, and they tried to take it back to Adelaide, I wonder whether the Adelaide people would actually, or the Adelaide government would turn around and say, hey, guys, we don't need Formula One anymore. We've got a V8 race, which is just as successful, if and not easier to manage. Money. Yeah, it doesn't cost them the big bucks. Exactly. Precisely, and, and how good is that? They're getting the same crowd through the door, or nearabouts anyway. They've still got the same amount of interest and the same amount of uh, spectacular that they would have with a Formula One. And you're right, it costs them a tenth of what it would cost, and, and everyone has a great time. I reckon that LF wants to go jump. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there is a rumour, and I will be t- talking to Tony Cochran next week on the show, um, and there is a rumour that Tony said to uh, the South Australian government when the American Le Mans series race was there and it was looking like they were trying to get around at Adelaide permanently on their Asia-Pacific calendar, he said, you keep bringing these guys back and we won't come back. And uh, after the first race, it wasn't there anymore, Tony Whitlock. Yeah, look, it, it failed for a bunch of other reasons as well. Um, you know, the, the category itself wasn't strong enough outside Europe and the US. Um, so, you know, I never was surprised they didn't go back there again. Mm. Tony Whitlock, uh, do you think his legacy is going to be one that will be held up for uh 10 and 20 years' time? Is he going to have a, a Brock-like legacy as an administrator? Um, no, no, no. He's a promoter. You know, I mean, he's not bigger than Frank Sinatra. You know, the stories about him sitting in foyers and things like that. He was sitting outside Frank Sinatra. So, no, he's not going to have a legacy like that. And, you know, the, one, the other part of it is that, yes, motor racing, um, in terms of the, the, the big end of town and, and the, the, the expensive part of it, has had a great benefit in having him there. And that motorsport in Australia is at a far more professional level than when he arrived. The unfortunate thing is the trickle-down hasn't continued on. And that, you know, the, the smaller categories, the Formula Fords and the Porsches and all the other things, all suffer because all the money is sucked up into the V8s. And, and whether it's the organisation, as sponsors of tracks, signage, whatever it is, or it's the teams. And that's the unfortunate thing that's happened. Mm. And that's the unfortunate thing of having a small population, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It definitely, though, is going to be a series that is with is resilient because they have managed now to get Archer Capital involved. Do you think the fact that Tony is keeping his small stake in it is an indication that he's not getting out because he thinks it's all about to uh, collapse like the uh, pile of cards. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some conditions that he remains as a shareholder. Let's remember, though, I mean, I think we all agree, don't we, that Archer Capital is going to sell V8 supercars at some point down the track. Yeah. I mean, Capital Venture, the company's only hold on to things for so long until it becomes 
a, a better option for them to sell, and they've made a couple of dollars. So, uh, you know, we'll be talking at maybe two, three, five years down the track, another chapter of that supercar. Well, in fact, some people are speculating it's as soon as the TV deal's done that well, that sale might be done. Yeah, so. That'd be interesting if it was. It will be, and it'll be another interesting time for the sport that's moving towards the car of the future. We need to take a break, but on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about who might be Tony's replacement. This is the V8 Insiders. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Craig Revel here, joined by Tony Wicklock and Tony Shebecki. And Shebex, do you want to put a name on who you think is going to replace Tony Cochran at V8 well, Supercars? Craig, I have heard that there could be a straight swap. Uh, that David Gallup, of course, who left the NRL a, a couple of months ago, may be in line for the V8 Supercar job. As a Melbourne boy, I would hate to see that happen. Of course, we all know what uh, David Gallup did to the Melbourne Storm. Uh, yeah. Oh, look. It, it, Hold on. Uh, David uh, Gallup did that, or a whistleblower showed some illegal operations going on there, and uh, Melbourne Storm actually did it to themselves. No, it was David Gallup. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Melbourne Storm did and nothing. Also, there was a bit of selective uh, pointing there, wasn't there? Without uh, a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's hard to say, Craig. He, he literally is the only name that I've heard that may be coming along. And when you look at it, V8 Supercars now is a big enough sport to demand and command a big-name CEO. And I'm just looking around, there's not too many around that haven't got a job, and David Gallup sort of makes a perfect fit. Tony, have you heard any other names? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. But one of the things that should be remembered is there have been more failures at appointments at V8 Supercars and successes in terms of his uh, executive uh, placements. Um, the only real success uh, has been Shane Howard, who's been there a long time. And, you know, he's, uh, he's moved from being just events to being across a COO. Um, and, but outside that, there, there are a number of people inside the system, guys like Kurt Zagzuski, who has an extremely good reputation with good reason but he's a long way short of being a chairman. It's going to be a heavy hitter, and I think that quite possibly, as uh, Tony has suggested, it's going to be someone who comes from outside motorsport. I'm interested in that because all the mail I hear is it's Mark Scaife. Mark's been very well received by the Archer guys, and uh, he's currently the head of the commission. Would he have to relinquish that position, though? Oh, who knows? They, you, you do tend to make the rules up as you go when you get the person you want, don't you? Yeah. Uh, Tony, what do you think about Scaife? Um, yeah, look, I think there'd be nothing wrong with it. He's certainly learned a hell of a lot in the last 10 years or so, learned far more than just uh, what wheel bearings to put on a car. Um, and I would suggest that it would be very good for the sport to have someone there. The unfortunate thing is that he's built a reputation and... 
you know, quite possibly well-founded as somebody who has his hands on too many things. So, you know, it might be that he would have to step back from the commission, commission position. Um, you know, the, the way in which, you know, Car of the Future and everything else, I mean, which is now starting to step back, you know, he's no longer involved. But, you know, he played a large part in getting Nissan involved. Maybe not so much in the actual getting involved because um, John Crenn, I think, made the first phone calls there. Uh, but, you know, played a part in sort of getting him over the line. Neil Compton might be looking for a new job soon. <laughs> well, he manages to jump whichever way the uh, channel, the television deal falls, so you'd think yeah, he's no, pretty no, safe. He's, he's... That'll be the case this time, yeah. Okay, interesting one. That... Uh, that is very interesting. Guys, there is some other news on the horizon, and that's AMG is going to be on the grid next year. And, uh, Tony, I know that you've always had your eyes on a uh, an AMG Mercedes. Does this get you any closer to getting one, perhaps? Uh, <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yeah, the, I knew that was going to catch me out eventually. Uh, Shipex. If I could start off first, yeah, look, it's fantastic to see the Mercedes brand on the grid. I mean, we must always remember, though, that they aren't paying a cent to do it, so they've got the perfect scenario, haven't they, as a manufacturer who's going to be perceived as being uh, involved in V8 supercars, but at the end of the day, it's uh, not costing them a cent. All the, the parts, all the engines, everything all being brought by Erebus and Stone Brothers, and, oh, there's another one that might have a job, need a job soon too, Ross or Jim Stone. Uh and uh, no, it's just good to have a, that fourth manufacturer now and uh, creates a bit more interest, doesn't it? Well, my mail, Tony, is that uh, this is the start of the transition. Ross and Jim will slowly transition themselves to being employees of Erebus to eventually uh, stepping away once their full retirement kicks in. Uh, oh, yeah, I agree with you. Yep. Also, mm. that, you know, long term, that I don't think that um, Erebus V8 team will be, remain on the Queensland coast. It'll probably move to Victoria back to Melbourne, or to Melbourne, not back to, but, um, but you know, for the next couple of years, it'll certainly be up there as they establish as to, you know, who and what and where and how it's controlled. I think Jimmy's uh, into the end of 14, um, when Ross may be another year after that. Mm. It's going to be an interesting transition, and this is critical because Stone Brothers Racing was the last team that had not had any changes in its... Uh, management since the start of V8 Supercars, their their ownership and uh, the the uh, controllers of those racing entitlements had not changed. So this is this is the end of the uh, first wave of people who signed up. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah. It, it was interesting a few moments that uh, Shebex made just uh, a few moments ago that Mercedes is going to be on the grid without spending any money. A lot of talk is that Ford might be on the grid without spending any money very soon as well, Tony Whitlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well certainly, you know, with having only, what, seven cars next year. And only seven, only four of them, oh, only three of them receiving funding from Ford, uh, because still... I think uh, Schwerkold will have from the start. Mm. Well, Charlie used to be involved with Dick Johnson Racing, and this week we've seen Dick Johnson Racing release a new Bathurst livery on the Norton Falcon, and it's going back to the 1980s, 81, with a true blue steel livery in Norton, coming to the party there and becoming part of that livery history in Moffat and Davison's car, which will be changed from 18 to 17. That's the biggest part of it, because this is the first time I don't think a Johnson's been behind the wheel of 17 
at Bathurst in probably 50 years or 40 years or whatever. <laughs> it it is a it is an interesting move and it mm. and it, it is a striking car when you see the photos. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah, beautiful blue, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it's just about a TV camera. That's all it is, and you know, sucking up a bit more coverage. <laughs> It's yeah. not going to help them get to the finish line any faster with any of the four cars, unfortunately. No, but you know, look, you know, I think they'll uh, they'll do better than they've been doing. They showed glimpses of speed at Sandown. Shebex, what does a livery like this do? We see the AFL has its heritage round, the league has its heritage round. What does Dick Johnson Racing going to that livery actually mean to the hardcore media that you deal with down in Melbourne? Cars only go faster when they're painted red. <laughs> it's been a long time thing. Uh, now, look, this, uh, I mean, for, for historians, for people that have loved the sport, V8 racing here in Australia, or whatever categories it's been over its, uh, over its time, in the 50 years, especially since it's been at Bathurst, uh, people will see this, and it'll bring memories back for people my age, even probably more so people Tony Whitlock's age. Uh, the memories will come flooding back, and they'll see these cars. And we, uh, because and we know that people love the history of the sport. We see so many people get excited when they see the cars in the uh, the masters category go out, and they see uh, when we have the legends doing their laps around uh, tracks in Australia. They love to see the old liveries go out there, and it's fantastic. It's just a bit of back to the future stuff, isn't it? Mm, it is indeed, uh, guys. A couple of things we need to touch on before we finish up. HRT. Tony Whitlock has had its car of the future out on the track and its black carbon fibre livery has been very popular. Yeah, the car looks good. I'm certainly pleased to hear they're just putting one bloke behind the seat. It makes sense. I understand it was for reasons of they didn't want any confusion, which I did see a bit of that confusion up at uh, Queensland Race when I was there for Triple Eight's car of the future. Contrary views from Craig and Jamie. But, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it looks terrific, but, you know, it's just paint. Um, I look forward to actually having a look at the car in the flesh and uh, it bodes well for um, for a great season next year. Mm. And Tony Shebeki, uh, the other thing is the V8 Supercars talk, they might look at their race format. I know I've been speaking to Paul Morris over well over quite a number of years now and he's dead keen on having one big race on Sunday at every race meeting. Yeah, and I'm dead keen on that too. I think that's a fantastic way of doing it. And maybe on the Saturday, well, the, the 220-lap races at Sandown, weren't they so uh, applauded by everyone in regards to just the excitement that they brought? I don't know whether you could do another, whether you could do 20-lap races on a regular basis, but maybe 40 oh, or 50. No, please, no. <laughs> well, I mean, one... I remember those bit of 2020 cricket time. days of dash for cash and all those bloody things. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry, this category came of age when it moved to its race format where they were having races per day, not multiple races, just a race minimum. I, you know, I think there's a great line in there somewhere about we don't get out of bed for less than 200 k's. Um, these cars are unbreakable. We let them go out and race over a distance. They got rid of the artificial sort of thing when they put smaller tanks in them. Um, I think it's far better when they're not mixing all the tyres up but just running on one tyre, letting the soft tyre degrade and I think they're far better formats than just 20 minutes of racing. Mm. Well, what what would you like to see in a perfect world, Tony Whitlock? Oh, look, I think it's not far off now what they've got. Um, you know, everything's going to shake out very differently because they've moved. You know, we've got to a stage where we are with these cars because they were built to go for a Bathurst. So we have a, a situation where so many of our races 
we have you know one or two cars maybe not finishing, but the majority of them, they all finish. And because the cars are damn near unbreakable, now we're moving to a whole new spec, new transmissions, independent rear ends. I mean, the simplest thing is, you know, when these cars hit the wall, not at turn eight, but at turn three, four, five, six at Adelaide, you know, are they going to survive that? Will the transmissions be able to cope with them? Will the cars themselves be able to cope with the same amount of brutal? Because over the 20 years that they have existed as they are, they have. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it's a new world we're going to. Well, Tony Shebecki, what would you like to see in the new world order? Yeah, look, I, I, I like the idea of just having one good race on a Sunday and, and maybe a couple of smaller races on the Saturday. I don't mind that. It adds to a bit of a novelty value. But I, I agree with Tony. These cars were built to race at a distance. Let's have a good, you know, 250, 300k race on every Sunday and then maybe just do a little bit of Mickey Mouse stuff on the Saturday just for fun. Mm, all right. Well, interesting thoughts ahead. We're going to speak to one man who enjoyed a big, long race on a Sunday. Warren Luff talks about his win at Sandown, along with Craig Lowndes on the white flag lap. But for now, Tony Shebecki and Tony Whitlock, thanks very much for your time. Always a pleasure, Craig. Thank you, Craig. We'll return with the white flag lap after this break here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, we catch up with Warren Luff and asked him... Even a few hours after the race was over, was it a surreal feeling that he'd finally won his first ever V8 supercar race? Yeah, I reckon that um, that last 20 laps of the race, it was just a, <clears throat> it was the longest 20 laps of my life, just watching Craig out there and uh, just sort of obviously when he got past Jamie and then obviously seeing the, the pace that Frosty had there at the end of the race, um, it was uh, it was pretty sort of nail-biting kind of stuff. But look, Craig's Craig's one of the best in the business. You've, uh, if, you, if you're going to be partnered with someone watching them in that last 20 laps, you've got no one better than, uh, than being with Craig. So... Look, I had full confidence in him, and uh, the guys have done a fantastic job all weekend in, in giving us a car that was capable of winning the race. So, um, look, if we can sort of take this forward now and uh, and apply that to Bathurst, I think uh, we'll be in with a real good shot. How much different was this year where you'd been racing with Craig in the Audis and then moved on to testing all year before getting into this race? How much difference was that compared to the other years where you've had to come in a little bit colder? Yeah, look, it's um, for Craig and I. It's uh, it's a it's a great thing that we've uh, we've done a few races in the Audi. We've done the twelve hour the last two years. So we arrive at Bathurst uh, in three weeks, having already done two Bathurst races together in the last sort of eighteen months. So we know each other. We both know the we both know the track. Um, as I said, Craig's reputation at Bathurst speaks for itself. So um, look, I'm really confident going into into Bathurst. It's just um, for us. It's just going to be a case of we just need to do the same thing that we did this weekend. We need to focus on doing everything well. Uh, try and eliminate the mistakes and um, and and put Craig in a position where he can fight for that win at the end and uh, no one does that better than him so um, yeah, fingers crossed Going into Bathurst what does that race mean to you? Look, it's it's one of those things. Uh, Bathurst was that event that got me hooked in on motorsport as a kid. I uh, still remember sitting up there and uh, as a five and six year old kid 
perched in front of the TV, watching sort of like from 8am through till 6pm, watching all the all the pre-race highlights and all those things and cheering on my sort of heroes and that when I was a kid. And, uh, and that's what really sort of got me going and wanted to get involved in motorsport. So to be able to be back there and actually as a driver now is uh, is is fantastic but to, to be able to win that event would certainly be a dream come true there's some fantastic legends of our sport that have uh, that have won Bathurst and um, and I'm I'm there with probably one of the biggest legends of our sport in Craig so um, look I'll be going there doing everything that I can to sort of help Craig secure a, another Bathurst victory and uh, hopefully in the process get my first my thanks to Warren Luffer so check it flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders till next time round keep smiling and bye for now join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.